Hello, and you are listening to episode 127 of Just Get a Real Job, and this is part two of our brilliant conversation with directors Oz Arshad and Marcus Anthony Thomas. Thank you very much to everyone that listened to last week's episode. I'm, of course, your host, Jamie McKinley. I realise I've not introduced my own self yet, but in this second part of the conversation with Marcus and Oz, we got a lot more technical. I asked them lots of more specific questions about the role of a director and some of the things they do including how they feel they balance being writers and directors the entry point for directors in this industry some of the industry gaps some of the skills they feel have personally helped them improve and succeed as directors really really interesting second part of course in part one we covered their first steps into directing some of their early influences and much much more we also again spoke about the director's tape podcast in this part as well so lots of interesting stuff it's been so good having marcus and oz on the podcast in this double part, double bill, whatever people call it. Really, really insightful stuff. It was lovely chatting to them. And there's a reason we put it out as two parts because we think, you know, what they've been talking about has just been really useful and really insightful. And be sure to go and check out the Director's Take podcast as well if you've enjoyed hearing them chat. And the second series of that will be coming out not so far away, hopefully. I think later this year. So be sure to keep your eyes peeled for that. Just to flag as well, obviously, as this is a more directory filmy episode, a lot of the people that listening might, as well as our regular listeners, might be interested in some of our conversations from the past. One I just wanted to flag up is episode 111 with Reese Cargan who is an independent producer and it's all about starting your own production company so if you like this episode and you're interested particularly in filmmaking and sort of the craft of that then that would be a really good episode to go and check out. Of course we've done 126, 27 episodes now, I'm losing track so lots of brilliant conversations to check out as well but yes thank you again to Marcus and Oz for chatting to us we hope you enjoy episode 127, part two of our conversation. I feel like it's quite a good time to sort of do my sort of director's 101 missions with you. So I've sort of listened through some of your own podcasts. I've thought about some gaps that maybe exist in people's knowledge. I haven't spoke to a few of my own listeners and things as well. So I just, I thought I'd just sort of ask you some of these questions just to get your insights and stuff. The first one is just like, what is the entry point? for a director in the current climate and I know that's a really tough question because there's so many different routes into the industry but for both of you what do you think the sort of entry point is and how would people go about that starting with Oz this time it's funny because we asked a similar question today to our guests like what's going on with the industry right now my thing is you're not in control of what Netflix are doing you're not in control of what Amazon are doing you're not in control of what anyone is doing the only thing that you're in control of is just trying to find the opportunities to create when you can create. And then the second part of that is as much as, you know, the introverted ones amongst us and, you know, it's there is an element of you've got to get your work under people's faces somehow, you know, you've got to, and it's not just, you know, if people look, listen back through our episodes, you know, we had Philip Ilson on from London Short Film Festival. We had Rob Mundy on from Short of the Week and Director's Notes. You know, there's different ways that you can do that to get your, work out to different people and I think that that is the only way is to actually create 
You know, you've mm. got to keep trying to create. It's the only thing that's in your... And, it, and it, in any way, and I'm not even saying that, you know, it obviously costs a lot of money to try and direct, to try and get people and this, that and the other. But, you know, one of the things we, we did, a do- Marcus and I did a documentary for HBO. It won't come out, but just for whatever reasons, but we used all the knowledge and skills that we had got from doing corporate video for years was the reason why we could kind of like go toe-to-toe in doing the HBO documentary that the showrunners were really proud of. And that's because some of the corporate work that we may have done might not have been the most sexy of things and then probably more often than it's not. And, you know, when people slag off corporate stuff, it's like, nah, you can learn from anything. Take yeah. pride in something, there'll be something in there. Uh, Marcus, do you want to um, come on to that? Because I'm sure that you're going to say something similar. Yeah, yeah, no. I think, yeah, first of all, that's that's really important is to make as much as you can. So I was saying, like, when I moved to London, I didn't know anyone. I was just making comedy sketches with people i think if i was doing that now i think the problem with that then was that there was no real platform for it to get traction because it was in between tiktok and vine like it those neither of those platforms existed whereas i think now like we we shot two or three of them on a weekend like it would definitely be a tiktok account and we'd bang them out and if you do that consistently even if you then have so what it's quite easy to get a thousand views say if you've got 30 videos and i don't know like one of them of those 30 might get like a decent amount and say, what you get like a hundred K views on that. Then if you're going to the BFI with a script that you've got and you'd be like, this is, this is the TikTok account with this many views. And then I want to do this and this is it. Then you've probably got a better chance of standing out against someone who's just like, this is the first thing I'm ever going to do. This is my six minute script, which might be really difficult. Yeah. So I'd say make as much you can for one. My other thing was always, always, always. Yeah. Like if I, when I was doing corporate stuff, my mindset was always like, if I think something's going to be a waste of time, I'm going to waste my own time. So I'd always try and think about the skills that I'm learning as I'm learning them and try, just try. So I got better because I think before I did corporate, I was just like a floaty creative, like most people, to be honest. But it's through doing corporate, it made me really sort of like add a level of pragmatism to the craft of it all. And my creativity, being able to like turn the creativity on and off when you need to and making smart decisions about how to execute things for not much money with no resources. And the other big thing is, for me, is I've always just kind of lent into myself as much as I can. And like, if I lean into myself as much as possible, no one else can imitate that. So people are either going to like it or they're not going to. But that's my currency. I say it to Oswald all the time, I'm sure. He's heard me say it a few times. It's just like, for me, I, I see my ideas as currency. So, yeah, I would say it was my writing that got me into rooms and stuff. And I think that hasn't changed. I think if you're writing stuff, it's not wasted because, I mean, two of the films that I couldn't get made, I made them when I got into the NFTS and they were sat there for three or four years each. So, yeah, I think write as much as you can and your ideas and your stories are currency and just learn as much as you can. Thank you very much for sort of answering that question. This actually ties in very nicely what you're just talking about. You're talking about writing. Obviously, there'll be some listeners who are listening to this wondering, can you just be a director or can you just be a writer? Obviously, a separate things. But how do you, I mean, you're kind of both writer directors, right? So how does that work? Because they're kind of different things, but they can obviously be, they can be one thing. But I feel like it might be less common now for writer directors, probably partly because the, the climate of the industry we're in where it's hard to even get one. So where do you sort of both stand on writer-directors? I can start with you this time, Marcus. Uh, I did it for necessity because I'm, I'm not a good networker and I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a, to say an introvert would be underselling it really. So I think I, I did it through pure necessity. I was like, no one's going to give me a banging script. Like there's, I don't know anyone. And for example, like when I was doing my master's, I assumed everyone knew how to write. Like I thought writers were 
it was a skill you either could or you couldn't do. And so because I had a production company I registered like to make myself seem more professional when I was freelancing, I put out an ad for writers to send me short films, which I'd be looking to make. And I put my production company there, which people could look at and be like, it felt like it was legit, even though it's just me. And I got like 30 or 40 people sending like their portfolios over and I read all of them. And there was probably like one or two out of all of them. I was like, that were any good for me. And then I was like, okay, well, if this is the standard, then I can do that. And then that was what gave me the confidence to just go and do stuff and learn how to do it. So I think a lot of it is just actually just sitting down and doing it. And if I look back at one of the early drafts of the script that I got shortlisted for BFI funding with, like it's not even formatted well. Like it's, it's like six pages long, but it's a 12 page script. It's, it's, like it's, it's bad. But the ideas were there. The question was about what were our directors, right? What was the. Yeah, it's sort of, to be honest, it wasn't really, I didn't ask it as a proper question. I sort of just went, right, directors, you know, how, you know, it's a bit, so it's a bit <laughs> of a nuance. It's more sort of just how you feel, like, how do they interact with each other? Because obviously, I work with a lot of screenwriters who would sort of see themselves as screenwriters and not directors. So do you think you're more of a visual writer because you're a director as well? Do you think about the craft differently as a result? Yeah. I, so I've, I've worked with a writer once on film The Retreat and it, it's probably done the most out of my film so far. But that was like a, a different process because I was there every step of the way and I wouldn't, like, I'm pretty specific where, like, I know if, if a scene's going to end, end up in it or not. And if it's not, I would just cut it on the page. Like, because... When I made no exposure, I did like four drafts of a script and then went out and shot it. And it was such a struggle to do it in two and a half days and like ended up cutting four or five scenes out of it anyway. So it was just like, I'd rather not go through the hassle of even doing that. Mm. I can just catch it earlier and not, like just be on top of understanding how the story should flow and being brutal and seeing exactly what I need before I even get out to that point. So yeah, I don't have crazy experience, but I've kind of saw how the writers operated at film school and things and those the best ones were the most malleable and i think also the best ones had a sense of visual grammar in terms of like thinking about transitions and the way scenes flow into to each other and they had the extra bit going on yeah whereas for me like i can put on the director hat with my own work and know when it's going to work and when it's not and so for the new film space plug i wrote that for the first time i'd say as an actual writer because i wrote it not thinking about how i was going to do it whereas always before up to that point i'd always written something and known how i was going to execute it so with space plug it was like i was actively having to fix all of the shit that writer marcus had done <laughs> on the actual day i was like oh this doesn't work at all so it was a different process and I, I think that can sometimes happen with scripts where it's like the skill is in being able to actually translate that or really dig down into the writing to think practically how you're going to execute the things which they've done yeah no it's a really good answer and just want to quickly say i know i mentioned off air but i watched space plug this morning and i thought it was such an interesting yeah. film and I really enjoyed it. I thought it just looked incredible as well. First, Thank especially you. considering I imagine you don't have a massive budget and stuff. So um, no. well done on that. <laughs> yeah. oh, really, really good work, man. And someone else I just wanted to pick up on what you were saying about submitting a script that the format maybe wasn't the best and stuff. But I went something I always was told in development and something I tried to practice when I'm reading new scripts and stuff is that you're looking for voice first and foremost. I mean, format is obviously important as you go on, but at the end of the day, like it's quite elitist if you just reject scripts based on format and because a lot of people don't have the knowledge or haven't been taught how to do it. And it's, you know, such an inaccessible thing anyway. So I think voice is a massive part of it. And just yeah. 
you know, original ideas, as you say, and you were saying earlier that ideas are your currency, and I think I think it's very true. And there's like I think there's always examples of where people break it. So you, I, I can't remember who it was, but they put like pictures in their scripts, and then there's the dude who wrote Nightcrawler. I'm pretty sure they were saying like if there was something loud going on, he'd take a, he'd put the font in like size 70 or something and it would take it like a third of the page and it would just be that word like you can do what the fuck you want like ultimately it's about communication that's really what it is it's like Mm. and if people understand what you mean then there's no right way to go about it 100 percent. i think often you get people get sucked into group thinking we'd always done it this way so it needs to be like this and you know it's hard i mean i'm always resisting that when i'm working i'm like oh am i just being like guilty of just viewing it for this prism so i mean it's hard 100 but Mm. thank you for answering that question oz how do you sort of feel about being a writer director and how does that influence you when you're working like what the differences between both sort of roles yeah just on what you were saying before about getting into that group thinking it's like that idea about the whole you know, we see thing in a script. But you can't say that. Well, of course you fucking can. It's not a novel. It's a fucking blueprint for a visual piece of work. So if we see something before we see it, then we need to know what we're seeing. You know, it's, it, and, and that, again, is, is, is communication, isn't it, on the page? It's the experience of that reader mm. visually. So to go to your question about writing, directing, what was it specifically? Just about the uh, uh, just about the difference between it. Or, yeah, just sort or, of how it just sort of how do you find it? Obviously, as a director, like does do they influence each other and stuff? Yeah, massively. Like when we were on House of the Dragon, like I was telling someone actually this yesterday, Marcus actually about how that one weekend we were given the scripts and it took me and Marcus the whole bank holiday weekend or whatever it was to read the entire ten script. They were so dense. They were like, they were only like a 50, 60 pages each, but it took like two and a half hours to read each one because they were so full of like description and, you know, really well toned. Written. Yeah, really, really well written. Yeah. Really. And and it was good to like, and I read, I read them twice and I think Marcus read them twice and then we'd read it throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it just, that for me really made me think about what's on the page and what got cut. In reality, if you look at the whole of it, not that much actually got cut out of the show, really, which was pretty... They shot pretty much what was on the page, which is what ended up on HBO that the world saw. Yeah. But not much, hardly anything got cut because they were so lean, like what Marcus was saying about why cut it on the page. But I think that it helps me as a director. Like, if I read something, I'm like, you don't need that. Take it out. If someone says to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't need that. Take it out. I know when I'm there, I don't need that. It's been done in you know, a mm-hmm. look or... You know, I've I've just come off a shot yesterday and, you know, I had the writer in the room with me. We kind of developed it together uh, from an idea, from a five-page script she had that was from a play she had. It was a comedy and then we kind of dragged it into the arena of drama, which is more uh, drama with a bit of comedy in it, which is my voice. And, you know, there were just some things that on the page and I was saying to her that I know what you're saying about what's there, but visually we just don't need it. I just know that I'm not going to use that in the edit. So there's, there's no need for it. I've got, I've got the look or whatever it was to convey that information that the audience need. So, yeah, I think that they do, for me, they, they kind of do go hand in hand. Writing and directing, to me, at its thingy, its level, its storytelling, it's very, very similar. But that quote that Marcus is talking about, I actually tried to say that quote today. We don't have to this bit about it. There was a quote that Marcus, you should share it with Jamie, actually, because it's a really, really good quote. But Read that if you want, it's still here. We can have it on the podcast to, if you want, I don't mind. Yeah, I was trying to say this quote yesterday to people when we were shooting the show about how directing is just not what it's about in terms of the, the, the creative. Have you got it there, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a director is a kind of idea and taste machine. A movie is a series of creative and technical decisions, and it's the director's job to make the right decisions as frequently as possible. Shooting a movie is the worst milieu for creative work ever devised by man. It is a noisy, physical apparatus, and it's difficult to concentrate, and you have to do it from 8.30 to 6.30, five days a week. It's not an environment an, an artist would ever choose to work in. The only advantage it has is that you must do it, and you can't procrastinate. Yeah, that's a Stanley Kubrick. That's basically what it is. Yeah, that that to me is the answer to, to the question that you are writing. When you're there, you are writing, but it's a different way of writing. But yeah. it's the worst way of writing because you're not sat by yourself. Like, imagine it, you know what I mean? And you, yeah, can't, yeah. you can't go and make a coffee or... You have to figure it out. Distracted. And you, you can't, it out. there's no room for self-doubt. You just got to do it. Yeah. But I do love, I, I, I love both. Writing to me is like, it's like a muscle directing is a muscle one might be working your legs one might be working your biceps the butt they're all going to help yeah um, and, I, and, I, and i think that it's yeah I, I love i love both and i do write things that you know i'm not i might not necessarily direct but i just love writing mm. i don't like that first draft but i like writing after that i love it yeah, I love first draft's difficult yeah awful. i was gonna say like when i'm writing as well like because i know what actors can do i'm not sure how comfortable writers are with the process of acting so like I know that sometimes you can do something in a look and you can do something without dialogue, whereas I'm not sure if a writer would have the confidence to know that someone's going to come in and someone's going to know what they're going to do and the actor's going to know what they're doing to convey the same message mm. without putting it on the page in explicit terms. Does that make sense? Whereas like I can put a gap there and know it's going to hit. It's like a I think, extra I think that sort of thing. Edit, editing as well, isn't it, Marcus? Like, if you could edit as well, if you if you shoot the thing and you edit the thing, that does come full circle and help you when you're on the page because you're like, I know that I'm going to go from this scene straight to this scene. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of it is like, so when I was working on the retreat, it, a lot of it was like, it's about the shape of the scene. That really feels like what directing is. It's like the writing is one thing and it can, like, it can read how it's going to read and it can be satisfying. But I think as a director, like you have to find the shape of it. You have to find the shape of it when you're there. And that means it's like a scene pivots at the right time and it kind of leads off and lifts off at the right moment. And then the next one obviously like leans, leans off of that is the skin itself. And then when you're there editing, it's the same thing. Like that was really, when I was just saying about House of the Dragon, they didn't really take much out. All they did was just like shape the scenes properly. And whether that meant like there might've been two beats where you only need one for that scene, they'd remove a beat. And that's really it. Like, there's just a clear shape to everything. Yeah. Mm. You know, one of the most interesting things I've done in my new job at Riverside is getting to go and watch a bit of post because it's something as a script that you don't really learn about and you're aware it exists, but it's made my, the way I read scripts is different as well. So it's really mm. interesting. Do you actually have a favourite of the process, the two of you? Like, do you prefer the prep stuff? Do you prefer filming or do you prefer post? I mean, they're all very different things. Yeah. My answer to this sort of stuff is that, like, I'm a director purely because I can't specialise. Like, I love the entire process and I like how different it all is. So I don't have a favourite bit, but I'd say prep feels more like work, mm -hmm. like a work element. When you're on a shoot, it's probably the most anxiety-inducing shit you'll ever go through. And in the build-up to a shoot is, is like, super anxiety-inducing. And then post, I think, is the most chill. I think it's Definitely, the most relaxed. Yeah. You normally feel like you can sit down finally and have a coffee and start a bit later. Yeah, and you have what you have. That's I think that's really what it comes down to, is that, like, there's no anxiety in it for me, is that, like, I, I'm pretty confident in what I, I shot always because I wouldn't put myself... I know exactly what I need to get a story, even if I'm having to cut stuff up. But, yeah, I think just when you come to the edit, you've got exactly what you have and nothing more and nothing less, and you find solutions and you make a thing. And it gets better and better and better. And so 
I think post is the most chill. I think there's something really satisfying about being on set and executing something. It feels like a heist. Then prep feels like work, but it's still part of the same thing because you're building stuff and you're, I think prep for me is when you start to make the thing for real because writing is all very fanciful and nice, but there's an element for me where like I reach a point when I'm writing is that I can't even write this anymore because I'm just going to write myself in circles. Like I have to take it to the next stage to kind of know physically how everything is going to look, work together and mm. actually make it real. So, yeah. yeah. What about you? Is, is, do you, is there a part of the process you prefer? Or? No, I, I'm I'm saying I, I like all of it. I think it's all, I think it's just, if you're making things, mate, it's such a blessing to be able to create your own arm to be able to do it I, I like all of it i think like i was saying that you know that trying to do the first draft of anything is is hard it's like pulling teeth it's heavy lifting but after that i love rewriting i love getting notes and i love to rewrite it's just so good and then you know obviously prepping as well you know what's going to go where like working with your team your production designers your dp like what's going to go on and working with casting all of that stuff like it's, it's, it's just it's just an energy and post-production it's amazing. Like I said, like we were in post for six months on House of the Dragon. We saw all the early cuts. We saw all the changes, and it greatly informed. Well, it informed my understanding of how important, how more important than it was that I viewed the production. You know, you have to save yourself. You have to, and I did that. You know, one of the shorts that I did last year, like there was a scene at the end where something happened, something's revealed, and I want to do it in a certain style and a certain artistic way. To but I also. Sh- shot it another way as well just in case that that didn't work so that i saved the future edit version of myself and i think that is part of the director's job as well but yeah i i, I do like it all and yeah the, the post-production is, is a really lovely place to be as well but then when you're in post-production if you aren't shot for a bit you're like i want to go back on set <laughs> yeah. i mean you're like, i want to i felt like i, I was on ho- i felt like i was on holiday when i went i mean and it's less stressful for me because i'm just i was observing but i was like this is lovely i'm just this is a very comfy couch just have a coffee yeah. sit, yeah. sit yeah. for the day no one's like yeah. demanding a script needs to be published or anything this is all right oz do you think there's like three essential skills for you personally that you think have helped you be a director and help make you a better director and stuff yeah i think one of them is definitely leadership for me and having you know i was very fortunate to be a teacher and i was in management for seven of those years and just the people management and you know leading other human beings and trying to manage personalities is it's not easy it's so fucking hard that was something that has really helped me in directing because when you're in there it's leadership that's got to get you got to be able to manage things you've got people that may be more experienced than you that might derail you you've got to be steadfast on your vision i think the, the, the only other two things i can say is outside of that is just writing is a skill you know if you've got an understanding of storytelling from a writing perspective that's really really helpful and then editing there might be others but those are the three things i think that if you for me having those three allows me to create thank you very much it's a really interesting answer what about you marcus is there three skills um, that you sort of feel personally that have really helped you in your career so far yeah i'd say it's trying to distill it all down but i think like passion for one because i think that's what makes me obsessive in a productive way and because of that obsessiveness like it's what gives me the confidence because I know I'm talking about. So <laughs> when, when I'm in a room and I'm asked stuff, like I, I can't be outwitted. Not that I'm being tested or trying to be outwitted, but it's like I know every which way things should fit together to execute what I'm saying it should be or what I think it should be. So I think, yeah, that, that all comes from passion. I'd say I think one of the biggest things I have is I think I've got like mad patience, I think. 
but I'm happy just like sit and chill and be in my own head and let people do whatever they need to do. But in the edit, like, I'm happy to sit and watch my editor, like, leave my editor to it and just be there watching for like an hour and not say anything if I have to and just let them kind of get on with it. But yeah, I think patience is a massive one because it takes a long time to get projects going. And I think sometimes first drafts or like your first way of putting a scene together just isn't good. And you have to sort of like have the, the sort of passion and the patience in yourself and in the process of knowing it's just going to come together yeah i can't really think of a third one but it's kind of just problem solving three p's there we go passion <laughs> and uh, yeah i can't remember what the second one was what's was, what was the second one patience passion, yeah passion patience and problem solving there you go. I, I think directing is problem solving really like when you're there on set and when you're in the edit that's just pure problem solving even during prep actually because it's just being thrown so many issues constantly so you're just you're trying to stick with whatever the the intention of the story is and allow that to like navigate you through storms constant storms yeah well if you ever need to do a seminar you can just do the free p thing and it'll be a good free p's yeah Yeah. you might have to delete that so i can actually package it up and sell it It's just so, it's, too, it's too good it's, it's, we're all given the secrets of I mean, your whole podcast as well so you know so you're given it all but it's it's very useful i also have a question about i know you're not politicians and i know obviously not in the position to change anything but if you both had a magic wand <laughs> if you both had a magic wand what would you change about the industry tomorrow that would maybe make it more accessible for example or what would you sort of change about the industry starting with you marcus this time i i genuinely think i would get directors to lead the process for hiring directors that's what i think i would do because i'm not sure how it gets done i think it Um, probably depends on the production it's probably like a total lottery depending on how people want to run things but i don't think it's probably not a process there is though yeah because i mean for me like i can i don't know i can smell through the bullshit of people's work and i see lots of work that gets revered and I can see what is being pulled over people's eyes through various fanciful production techniques. And I'm not throwing shade at people because, I mean, these people, I'm sure, will go on to do great things. But in order to vet people properly, you need to be able to not get sucked in by sound design and cinematography and think that's what directing is because it's absolutely not. And I'm not saying this from a place of jealousy. It's that you're then throwing people who might not be ready to the fucking wolves just to get absolutely destroyed. And they might have really painful experiences and not work. So I think I'd do that. And I think the development of is just a mess. I don't know how that gets solved at the minute. Well, I do actually. I think everyone who makes something, they need to make a commitment to get people on set. And there needs to be like Directors UK, they need, I'm not saying it's them specifically, but they have like a pool of directors who are there. Like there needs to be like a list of people who are at that point We've had like funded shorts and got several laurels from Oscar and BAFTA qualifying festivals and who are at that point where they need to get on set. And I think there just seems to be such an abundance of an ability to get people into these, sh- like even if it's just a week, just go and shadow and at worst expenses, at worst, I don't, I don't know, but just like just the actual opportunity of getting in. So you, even if they're standing on set, they can sit and speak to producers and get to know them and chat and learn. Like, I just think that needs to happen en masse because there's so much talent that's being wasted and they want to scale up the industry. And it's like scaling up some of it with putting new studios and stuff and building all that, but how you're not actually developing any talent to lead these productions. You're going to have to get it all from overseas, basically. Yeah, so that's what I'd do. Really, really interesting answer and appreciate you answering that. Oh, what about are you? you, saying, you a... Are you saying British jobs for British people, Marcus? Exactly. I think British, Britain should be about British. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so if I was a politician. <laughs> there you go. There you yeah, go. you know which party I'd be. It, it is true, yeah. though. There's a massive problem with, like, I mean, this is more specific to Scotland, so about, like, that we don't got new studios up in Scotland and so many crews come up and film in Scotland, but there's a massive problem just bringing their own crews up from London or from wherever and not actually employing enough people locally. They employ a lot of crew to work dailies, but they don't bring any heads of department that are from Scotland or give people yeah. those opportunities to, to, you know, get those jobs and stuff. So I think, you know, I totally understand what you're saying. And there's, I think there's probably a massive problem with that across the whole UK and this we're wasting a lot of talent from a variety of backgrounds that aren't represented enough as well so no it's, it's, it's bang on Oz what about you do you have a if you had a magic wand what would you change man I, I think I think it kind of like the same as what, what Mark was saying it would just be to create a clear pathway and you know there's some sort of sort of way of people when they leave uni they just don't go into like just fall off a cliff or you know there's a clear pathway and everything's linked like I've said this before on the podcast that when I became a teacher and as soon as I finished my training because there was a pathway from the education side into the real world working side you know I could get a job quickly and because there's a pathway to getting into management there's a pathway up the ladder you know I, I just outworked everybody that was around me to become a head of faculty in three years and that's only because the pathway was there it didn't matter about you know whether my parents had links or whether I had loads of money or whatever it was irrelevant it was just about it was it was almost like meritocracy well it wasn't it is meritocracy you can move up the ladder in, in teaching if you want to the opportunity is there you've just got to be good and you've got to care and you've got to just be good at it that's not the case in this you could be all of those things and you still sat around for 10 years trying to get a break yeah. that I think is that's a tragedy that's wrong it's cruel it's wrong and it's unfair I don't know what the solution for that is but if there was a magic wand it's that that would change yeah no 100% I mean I, when I was at school I didn't even know what when I was at, when I studied film actually I didn't even know what script that I was I only knew what a script it was three years ago because there is this massive weird mystique around this entire, particularly TV and film, I mean, the whole creative industries, but of all these roles and stuff, and a lot of people only know, you know, they think, oh, I can be an actor or I can be a director, but then they don't understand what the role is, so then they don't even think it's possible, so they're not even going to, you know, try and attempt to go for it and it's such a yeah it's just we need a clear pathway you're right or just some sort of guide or hr as well and obviously there's not a proper hr in most sets so yeah. most yeah i know you did a, an episode with the film charity recently as well which you know there's i'm sure they probably talked a lot about this stuff but we don't have enough resources for people out there so it's yeah i think we need a clearer pathway and a clearer place for people to turn yeah it's you know it is a bit like the wild west it's almost like whenever we get any tradesmen coming in whether it's a plasterer or a plumber it feels industry is like that it's it's set up like that it's like a tradesperson landscape and you just have to try and get as much work as you can when you can from where you can and almost in some ways figure out yourself which is why i want to start the podcast in the first place and i'm sure part of the reason you guys have done your own one that actually segues nicely into my next question i'll start to wrap things up i've only got a few more questions i know we just chatting for a while but how do you both protect your mental health in this industry and your physical health because it's such a stressful thing to do and you know making a living is not always easy but marcus how do you protect your mental health and stuff I do yoga twice a day I do 5k runs I, I don't do any of that um, <laughs> no I'm, I'm I'm like awful yeah I, when I was writing actually a year before last now actually like when I first got a house of dragon I created like a really healthy sort of like way of working and was I had like good amount of money in the bank I was felt free I was running, I was literally running like four times a week and exercising and every day and like writing probably like five hours a day, hitting my targets and yeah, just, just kind of like living. But as soon as like last year came about, like and started, I was just everywhere with space plug and other commitments and like working little bits and bobs. And yeah, so I just couldn't ever really find a rhythm. So because I'm basically like, I've, I've gone freelance, so I teach and stuff as well. So I'm trying to like learn how to manage that and kind of get 
used to having no routine, which is quite difficult. But yeah, I, I think as for the, the mental health thing, like for me, I'm way too far gone in this to think that I'm not good enough. So but I know I'm good enough. It's just like, it's like when the rejections come, I'm like, you're going to want to work with me eventually. And it's going to be too late. <laughs> it's either that mentality or it's just like, you're going to want to work with me eventually. And then it's, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So yeah, I kind of like have that mentality. I've, I've had that to be honest before. Or I even made anything like I uh, just like I'm my own biggest fan Oz knows this I watch everything I do more, like obsessively because I enjoy it I make films for me and yeah so I'm like really proud of the stuff that I do so I, I kind of like stay motivated that way because I'm I'm just generally just excited about my own ideas a lot of the time I just try to I can't remember who asked it or something but we had it might have been on like the Scribe Lounge thing we did last year where I was just like what would you do differently and I was just like I actually don't think I would have done anything differently I think I'm playing a blinder <laughs> I, I know there's absolutely nothing else I could possibly do to get further ahead than what I'm already doing so it's just making peace with it takes time mm. and just being like trying to enjoy the journey that's that's really it and I'm really thankful that I get to make things every day and be flexible and do something I'm really passionate about even if I'm poor as fuck like I'd rather be poor as fuck and do something I really really love than make a shit ton of money and go home and cry because I hate it all so much and not want to wake up the next day so yeah no thank you for being so honest in that answer I mean I think it's it's really useful for people to hear people being honest about this and especially people that are sort of doing it and uh, mental health again there's not enough as I was saying before resources in this industry and with the long hours and sets and stuff is you know there's a big pandemic of bad mental health and a lot of people mm -hmm. are you know struggle so I mean it's an important task but Oz what about yourself how do you protect your sort of health i was going to say mental health but i suppose health includes everything really in this yeah i mean i mean one of the things is just is i think as well is just having a bit of a, a support network around you as well like so that you can actually offload to people i think sometimes or we'll bring marcus and vice versa not not necessarily just feeling down just to like have a chat because it is quite lonely like we live in a very you know this this social media era that we have is brilliant it's got so many brilliant things about it but mm -hmm. you know there are there are bad things about it as well and one of them is that you know this curated version of yourself we used to have this thing called a week in the life of in the podcast early episodes and the only reason we did that was because many filmmakers many artists uh, creatives put out a curated version of themselves like it's just all wins when actually you know that week might be actually really shit you know they might be yeah. doing some really that, that you know they're, it's, it's, they're not winning every single week but unfortunately there is a, an element of validation that's connected with trying to get up the ladder whatever that ladder is for people I, I think for me one of the things that keeps me level is is the fact that I, I now have confidence in my art and I think that because I got so low when I failed when I failed yeah keep failing like we say keep failing keep, keep learning keep failing keep keep the faith you know when I did the feature film to me it was a fail for me and the standards that I want because it exposed myself to myself that I was not what I thought I was that I was a director that understood what I was doing and because that kind of put me quite low in terms of my own estimation and how I saw myself as an artist I then it made me work even harder to, to actually be any good and then you know getting on house of the dragon just gave me so much confidence because i saw behind the curtain and i realized that actually there, i can do some of this stuff myself a lot of it and it's opportunity and experience 
And then since then, I've just been, you know, working hard myself in writing, in directing. And all of that is just to keep the, the muscles, you know, flexed and keep going. And I think as long as as long as my family have a roof over their head and food on the table, I'm not saying that it's just me that does that because my wife does that as well. But as long as, you know, both of us provide that for us, for ourselves as a family, I'm all right. I'm good, you know, because I know that I'm doing everything in my power that I can. I can't do anymore. The rest is not in my control. You know, I could have the best film in the land. There's not a pathway. So it's not, it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean that you know you're gonna get to those upper echelons but having seen those upper echelons being on house of the dragon i mean blessed enough to be that you know they're not they might not be what we thought they were it's just people like us just doing exactly the same thing when you're doing the short film but there's several zeros that come after the budget that's all it is and you're accountable to everybody's accountable to someone in it and you know you have to deliver that's what it is through through effective communication yeah, yeah. no that, that another brilliant answer and i love that question you guys used to ask about like what have you been up to this week because something i try to really get across on this podcast is the honesty of what the life's really like and how unlinear careers are as well because we had some people on this podcast that on paper wow they'd had like four successful albums out or you know they'd made a film or whatever but then you know that's in reality they might not be making lots of money now or they might you know have other personal things going on or you know, work isn't always guaranteed. So I think it's really, as you say, really important that you have these honest conversations. Someone asked me a question re- recently, like, you know, they didn't know that I did that. They don't know anything about it. They're not from the sector. And then they, they said, oh, what, you know, I just met them and they were like, oh, what, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a director. I did this piece of work, um, X, Y, and Z. And they said, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And they said, and, and then what's the dream? What's, what, you know, what is the dream for you? And I said, well, I'm actually, you know, living it. I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Things in front of you. Like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> she, she, she was like, all right, okay. Because I think that's the other thing as well. And like, sometimes I meet students say, I want to be a director. Are you directing? Yeah, well, you're a director. I want to be a writer. But you are writing, you're a writer. You know, like, it's it's just owning it. And, you know, you're living it. What is it when you get into the upper echelon, when you you go behind the sort of like veiled curtains and you see what's going on there, that means that you've made it. No, it isn't. You're there now. We're still going to the house at the end of the day and sleep and yeah. shit and yeah, exactly. get a delivery <laughs> nice. yeah. that might be just an assistant bringing it for you on the, on the day yeah, yeah. Yourself. that's the difference yeah the expense <laughs> it yeah. I've got two more questions for you before I wrap things up but what we ask everyone that comes on the podcast obviously the name of this podcast is just get a real job we'd all had to work mm. jobs we'd hated over the years but what's the worst part time slash real job you'd ever had to work Oz you know what Every job that I've done, I've, I've either had to, had to do it or I've done it and I've been blessed enough to have been able to do it, right? I know that's a bullshit, pretentious answer, but it isn't, right? The only time when I actually felt like that, like, what the fuck, was I was in my teens and I was working at a takeaway and I used to cut onions for them. That was awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> and then I remember, like, I used to, like, eat loads of poppadoms and then they, they nearly fired me because of poppadoms. And then one of my family members had to go over and, like, they, they, they bought him a box of poppadoms and said, go on. Have that and fuck off. How many poppadoms did you have? Yeah, come... <laughs> I did have a quite. I, know, I had quite a lot. <laughs> they were like, "Why are you eating all that stock?" And I was like, "Well, you know, it's what it is." My first ever part-time job was in a Chinese, so like I'm really, you know, I relate to some of that. What you're saying about like take, being in a takeaway, yeah, yeah. it was it was hard, man. At least they paid me from a first shift with a Chinese. That was the pay for the first shift. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, it's just a trial, so you get a free meal. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, Marcus, yeah. what right. about you? I don't know, you know. I mean, it, I mean, I worked as sports director. That was pretty shit. <laughs> but, had that answer a few times on this podcast. They've been bashed a few times on this. Yeah, the money is terrible. It was like minimum wage, and when you're like, I was eighteen when I worked there, so it was like four pounds eighty five an hour. It's like nonsense. But that was like somewhat something. 
it was the 16 and 17 year olds they got like three pound 30 an hour it was just like you wouldn't, even... wouldn't even be able to get a meal deal these days with honestly that. like what's even the point like what is even like, three pound 30 an hour is insane and th- that was just like dry because you weren't allowed to sit down at all so like you had to stand at the front all day and people just come in and try and steal shit the whole time like uh, that's basically it i mean like most workplaces like if the people are great you work with but beyond that but yeah it's pretty dry. Yeah, Mike Ashley's been bashed a lot on this podcast in the past. Or that joy. It's interesting that's quite a common answer, actually. But just to close things off, I normally get people to sort of close off with their closing advice, but I'm going to try to make it a bit different this week. But if you could have known one thing at the start of your journey as a director, what would it be? To start with you, Oz. Oh, man. I think it would have just been just understanding like that there's a, a decision and a deliberate choice to where the camera is. I think that's... Because I, I didn't... Like, like I said, even when I was directing i didn't know what directing was that's something that i didn't know it took me a long time to figure that out and understand it and now that i kind of know that that's a thing now it's a lifetime of learning now about trying to get to that those right decisions where that goes mm. no it's a good, yeah. good answer it's a good answer what about you mark yeah I, I think i would have like if i would go back the thing is i'm really happy with how i did it because i i didn't touch a camera until i was 22 so i kind of needed to learn all the technical stuff but definitely should have you should learn the story first ultimately like really focus on story and character first like really focus on that rather than flashy cool transitions and Edgar Wright stuff which is why we'll get into it in the first place but yeah dig down into that I think would have been it thank you so much firstly for your time tonight I really appreciate it there's so many more questions I could ask you both I know you can as you know from doing the podcast you know like you can only get through so much sometimes but I really really appreciate both your time I think it's really refreshing to have people like yourselves in this industry and to be sharing your knowledge like you are where can people find like the directors take and when season two of that coming out and stuff well that's the question um (laughs) so we're on instagram which is at the directors take podcast and on twitter or x which is at directors take and then obviously our our, obviously and then our email is the directors take at outlook.com so if you want to reach out that's the way to do it and as for when we're coming back we're aiming for first half of the year (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're we're trying to get all the back-end stuff done and look at all the fun stuff around monetizing and all that but yeah, once we, we make some headway, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, get a date locked in. But one thing we are doing that's in our control is recording episodes. Yes. So yeah. That's that's kind of like the, not, it's not easier, but that's the thing that's in our control. The other stuff needs a bit more figuring out. Mm. Yeah. It's hard though. You know, no one teaches you how to do a podcast either. That's something you have to sort mm. of figure out as you go, as I'm sure you both know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How are you getting on with that? How, how are you finding it? It's a journey, isn't it? Oz. Okay. Marcus, thank you so much for your time on a Monday night for speaking to me for so long. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you both and chat. No worries. No, thank you so thank much. You. It's been, it's been, been great. Yeah, I'd love to do more podcasts. So uh, yeah, if anyone else is listening and got a podcast, get us on. It's get nice, on. The, yeah. nice yeah. being on the other side, isn't it? It, it, yeah. it changes up. We don't have to edit Less it. Less pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That was episode 127. Thank you to Marcus and Oz for chatting to us across these two parts. Be sure and go and check out part one if you listen to part two first. Some people do that. We don't mind. Just also to say there will not be a new episode out next week. We're going to have a little one week off because our wonderful Elliot, our wonderful Elliot, I was going to say our wonderful editor-in-chief, but we'll go with our wonderful Elliot Mitchell is actually going on a little university trip to Rome. So we wish him all the best over there. For, he'll hopefully have a good time. So it won't be a podcast next week, but we'll be back the following week. We'd recorded some brilliant episodes recently and really excited to put them out. But in the meantime, be sure to like, 
be sure to subscribe follow us on spotify if you're listening there give the podcast a share and if you're feeling particularly generous why not donate to our patreon as well links to that in the show notes but we hope everyone has a wonderful rest of the week just get a real job.